You're listening to Supervision with a Vision, where we discuss all things supervision. I'm your host, Sarah, professional counselor, marriage and family therapist, play therapist, eating disorder specialist, and cookie lover, with my co-host, Heather, marriage and family therapist, certified together in Texas counselor, a Texas transplant from California, and outdoor adventurer. Hi, welcome to Supervision with a Vision. This week, Heather and I are talking about how to find your perfect business partner. This week, we read 10 Tips for Finding the Perfect Love, published in Psychology Today 2020. Heather, in the article, the first point that they make is it's important to meet a lot of people. You have to kiss a lot of frogs before you find your prince right. kind of and idea. That's a good, it's actually great advice, mm-hmm. especially in the business world. The more connections you're making, the more likelihood you're going to find the person that you want to be in business with. Mm-hmm. Heather, tell me how that worked for you. I know you went to school in California. You moved here. Did it feel like starting over? It, completely. I had no connections. How did you go about making good connections? So when I started looking at, I needed to get more hours taken care of. The licensing process or the steps involved are completely different. In California, you don't sit for your exam until your hours are done. Oh, kind of backwards from the way we do it. Right. So I had to jump in and find an internship as quick as possible, but I also had to study and take the test as soon as possible. I studied for a while and through that, I was part of a group online, like a study group. Oh, cool. I started knowing different agencies and different places to get hours. And Ah, so you met the people in the group, but you benefited from hearing their work experiences. Mm -hmm. Primarily, honestly, where not to work. That was sure. Got a lot of that. Yeah. And from there, just branched out, found one of the agencies that it was actually going through kind of a redevelopment at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was only willing to work very, very part-time. My daughter was really young Mm -hmm. and they said, sure, come on. Okay, great. I'll do these hours. It's a very small commitment and it grew from there. And I met a lot of people from there, but I also met a lot of people by going to continuing education classes. Do you think that whole time moving, studying, finding a position, getting the the CEUs and trainings that you needed, was that in the back of your mind that you were intentionally meeting people that would be a benefit to you later? I knew I needed to meet people that were doing private practice because that was my goal. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be an agency work forever, Mm -hmm. but I was finding that part difficult. I'm not meeting the people that are in private practice. I'm going to these conferences that are for work. What I need to do, I would say maybe I was giving it 50%. Have your eyes open to meet the person that's in private practice, Mm -hmm. but I had other job tasks to take care of at the same time. I think maybe uh, my process was similar. I would say I started doing some valuable network when I was still in grad school and I didn't know it. Right. I knew I wanted to do play therapy. So started doing things and being friendly with the play therapy professors mm-hmm. and got involved in the association for play therapy in the state that I was in completely just because I wanted to geek out on play right. therapy stuff and met a ton of fun people that mm-hmm. I still communicate with and I think right. are fun. And that grew, mm-hmm. that perpetuated itself into jobs, such you know, opportunities. Right. Then I I did not know that's what I was doing and that it would be such a benefit to right. me. The people that I met in my master's program have, let me think, been involved been involved in at least three different positions that I've mm-hmm. gotten, that's three great. different jobs and a lot of good opportunities. Yeah. I would definitely say that networking in grad school, I still have a great resource group mm. and my grad school was long ago. <laughs> I still have a couple of people that I really enjoyed in grad school and they thought differently than I did. Every once in a while, if I'm stuck or 
I'm needing some consultation that isn't just consultation I already know I'm going to get. They are a quick email away. I think now I'm much more intentional. I don't know how many years ago, but I began doing it because I enjoyed the people that I was around, but have since and told the people that I'm doing this with, I'm keeping you because you're a good one. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you're, I'm just so you know, you're on my short list of people that I'm going to call again or... If I have a question, I'm going to call you Mm -hmm. uh, that I want to stay in touch. And I think that they are valuable insight, right? Mm -hmm. Give you valuable perspective. Mm -hmm. Not just that opportunities, Mm -hmm. their connections or become my connections. Heather, something else that I think about when I'm thinking about meeting a lot of people and making connections right now, where do most of your referrals come from? A lot of my referrals are usually previous clients. A lot of them, Mm -hmm. but also from people that I've already been in business with before. Either I've worked Mm -hmm. with them at an agency, maybe we ran a group together, maybe we were part of a different, but those are the people that I've formed my little nest or my little work family of, they're like, oh, that's, they will tell me, I have a client I'm sending your way. Here's, I've already given them your information, look for them. Mm -hmm. So they're following up to make sure that the person that wasn't a great fit for them Mm -hmm. is going to come to me. Mm -hmm. I think the right now, the majority of my referrals come from people that I've worked with before mm-hmm. or organizations that I've worked with before right. that they'll keep my name. Okay. I can remember now that I know someone whose office is probably 30 miles away and she and I used to work together 50 miles away from where my office is now. Right. But if she, if someone comes across her office that she knows is a little bit more in my direction or closer to my specialty than hers, she'll call me. Yeah. And even if I can't work with that person for some reason, she and I will work together to think of someone else that we know that could be a good fit. Yeah. I think those connections are just invaluable Mm -hmm. when it comes to business. I think I've done that not just with referrals and clients, but maybe I'm trying to fill a position. Right. Maybe I hear of a position and think, oh, I know the perfect person. I know someone who would be so happy Mm -hmm. in that type of situation that I'll reach back out to them and help them make that connection. I even remember just recently, not that long ago, a week or two ago, someone, a work associate, a work friend said, I really need to find a psychiatrist for my sister and she's in this state. Right. And I went, hold on, give me a second. I know someone. Right. Let me send them a message. Mm -hmm. I will find a good psychiatrist in that city. Right. And in 15 minutes, I had the name of two different psychiatrists in a different state. Right. And she could try. That, and right. That's awesome. That had, and I got not just names and phone numbers, but this person's really great with young adult mm-hmm. women, this person, hmm, young adults, maybe right. older adult. I had a little bit of awesome. information. Right. Yeah. So I think it's gotten to the point where my network can stretch really right. far. The second point in our article is know yourself. How do you think this factors into finding your perfect business partner for you? I think it's important with this to like be honest and authentic in your interactions, but be honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. Like simple things. I think of business people, like if you're working in an agency, there is going to be people that you don't necessarily want to work with because maybe you see their bad habits. Maybe they're a loud talker in the hallway. Maybe (laughs) they're, but you don't, you wouldn't pursue that. But really what I'm saying is be aware of what's important to you. Be aware of the things that are like, you like how that person engages with others. You like maybe their ethics, maybe their Mm -hmm. morals. Mm -hmm. Maybe those are the things that draw you together. Mm -hmm. When I went into private practice, I had, I told myself, 
probably immediately following school all the way until entering private practice that I did not want to go into private practice. Oh, okay. And I I, I knew that. <laughs> I had some pretty specific reasons why. I thought I would be lonely. Mm-hmm. I thought it would eventually get boring to me, one person in, one person out. And maybe it doesn't have to be this way in private practice, but potentially I wouldn't have a lot of coworkers okay. around. Okay. And I just thought there wouldn't be a lot of variety in my day. Mm-hmm. For the most part, I think that's true. Right. I think that is it mostly could, true. About, you don't have to make it that way in private practice, but it can be. It's probably more likely than not. Right. And those are the parts of private practice that I don't enjoy as right. much. There are other parts that I do really enjoy, but I have to meet those needs in different ways. Mm-hmm. I have to find ways to be creative and mm-hmm. not get bored. I have to reach out to other people so that I don't feel isolated right. in my office. So I knew those things about myself. Mm-hmm. I would say, too, if I'm thinking about what would be the perfect match for me, I think I would be thinking, what do I like? What do I dislike? What kind of work environment makes me the happiest? Right. I have officed with, I wouldn't say they were actually business partners because there was a limit to how much. Right responsibility we Mm -hmm. had towards each other. But in the very beginning of starting a private practice, I shared office space with another person who was doing play therapy, but not necessarily trained in play therapy. Okay. And she was more specific about the way she wanted the office to be than I was. Okay. And the unraveling of things was that she sent me a message and told me that I needed to buy her new crayons because her crayons were broken. Oh, whoa. And I went, this isn't going to work for yeah. very long. <laughs> it's not going to have broken crayons are the best. Yeah. But I thought, yeah, I don't know that that's a good right. combination. It can work for a while, but do I ultimately want to have more responsibility towards each other, be mm-hmm. more committed to each other right. with our business? Probably not. Right. I think other things like that's a practical thing that is maybe, yes, has some other ties to it, but it let you know that probably not the place for me. Mm-hmm. But also I think little things like that, like who they're seeing, right? In my practice, we have four of us that share some common office space, but we were pretty specific about what we didn't want, like what we weren't comfortable with. Well, so you had to know that about yourself before you started the conversation with someone else. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that can be tricky. Maybe that bleeds into our next point. Ask questions. With our field, and this could be a bias, I think that it's more complicated because we're dealing with emotions, Mm -hmm. ethics, values, that I can imagine that there's a different kind of business partner that you're not as involved in their ethics, morals, values, those types of practices. Those questions wouldn't be as important. I agree. Maybe, I don't know what kind of business that would be. If you're doing lawn care, if you're a landscaping company. Who cares? Yeah. Then fewer complicated morals. There's probably still some moral issues there, but it would be different. So asking questions, what kinds of questions would you, or have you asked when getting uh, started in business with someone? I think some of the first conversations we had when deciding to go into private practice together, umbrella-like, what types of clients are we going to serve? What populations are we going to serve? And then also, what does that look like? Are you someone that's going to be in the office nine to five? Are you going to work evenings? Just some practicality there talking about how we are going to run our business, like the brass tacks of, are we hiring a secretary? Are we billing under an umbrella? Are we doing things? We are all for separate practices. And I think the way that you've created that, it allows you to be together and not feel isolated. Right. 
and at the same time having some autonomy to make some of those right. values, ethical decisions more on your own. Right. Generally speaking. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that maybe asking these questions helped you to form that idea that maybe I don't want to be completely connected with every decision that this person makes. Right. Right. Gives you a little space if you need it. Mm-hmm. For my practice, I don't know if I've mentioned before on the podcast that I take insurance. Right. I think that would be a discussion if I were in business with someone else, mm-hmm. truly in partners, in, in, right. 50-50 partners, mm-hmm. that that would have to be something that we would discuss. I think it would be really hard to have one person who uses insurance, mm-hmm. is on insurance panels, and another person who doesn't want to do that right. at all. Like, right. Right is choosing not to go that direction at all, I think that would be a hard match to make. So that's a question I would want to ask. So insurance is a good question. Hours that you're working is valid or the types of clients you're going to see. And then also just something that kind of seems outside the box, but it's like, how do they do therapy? Because you're now associated. If they just see your names next to each other in the hallway, they now associate your name. So how do they do? Mm -hmm. And you don't want to have that association with someone that maybe isn't in good standing, whether it's with the board or whether something else you want to be able to make sure that you're liking who you're with, that you would refer to I think that's hard. Similar to supervision. I think agreeing to supervise someone is a different type of partnership, Mm -hmm. business partnership. Absolutely. I don't expect that all of my supervisees will use the same type of modalities that I use. So that one's tricky for me. Maybe I haven't for myself yet quite formulated what question I would ask to know, can I be okay with your type of therapy? But if somebody's using a modality like that, that is either really lost favor because as a society, we've decided it's not ethical, that would be a problem for me. Yep, that'd be a problem. It'd also be a problem if you were next door while that was going on and having Mm -hmm. your own session. Mm -hmm. The article doesn't talk about this, and we didn't talk about this and include it in our talking points, but I think that this is an ongoing process. Mm -hmm. So if over the course of the time that you're in a practice with someone, they begin doing a form of therapy that you think, wow, that's different, that's, (laughs) you know, not legal in some states, then you might part ways. Right. Going through this process, meeting people, knowing yourself, asking questions, that is an ongoing process. Right. Especially number two, I think, know mm-hmm. your know yourself, mm-hmm. that the better you know yourself as you're growing and learning, right. you will change and you will change your opinion. Right. You'll change your preferences. Mm-hmm. Have you known any private practices that have gone through that process that maybe there was someone who they in the beginning, they agreed, this is how we work together and family changes, their mm-hmm. health changes, you mm-hmm. know, their situation changes. And one person says, I really need to right. back out. I really need to decrease my hours. I haven't heard of exactly that, but I think that it is a worthy question. Like I've heard, mm-hmm. I have heard of a couple of times where people have started a group. I think it was seven of them mm-hmm. and they just found that that was too many. It was too many. People oh, it was to complicated. Try and make, yeah, too complicated and mm-hmm. too much sharing of space and too much time overlapping. So I think that's a problem. But I also think that's a lot of people to try to business, like do business with all at once. Mm-hmm. I've worked with, again, probably used their office space and not an actual partner in the mm-hmm. business group. And the main person, the per, the kind of the, the coordinator of things, decided she was ready to retire. Oh, right. So then there was renegotiating of all these things again so that another person could take Pop the in. lead. Mm-hmm. And the person who was ready to gradually step back had a plan that they were comfortable with that everyone else was right. comfortable with. Lots of I, dynamics. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and always changing. Mm-hmm. Everybody's needs are changing. The last point in our article, ask if your beliefs match theirs. Mm-hmm. We kind of touched on that with what kind of counseling are they doing? Mm-hmm. What kind of people are they seeing? I hadn't thought of this, but what if you're seeing kids and they decide that they want to start seeing offenders? Right. Could be a problem. And both are needed. Right. Counselors that see kids and counselors that see offenders, but it's not a great match. Right. A counselor that wants to use a religious perspective. Mm-hmm. And you might have to ask yourself, can that match or can that work together in my office if I'm not wanting to use a right. religious perspective? Right. I think, I think it's up to each person. And then I also think it comes down to how flexible are you? Can you think of any other beliefs that it would be important to examine before jumping into, I was going to say jumping into bed, jumping into business. <laughs> it is, it is like thing. jumping into bed with someone. I can think of people that, and I don't necessarily haven't experienced this, but I can think it, that all these things would matter. Different things uh, regarding sexuality, different religions, different races, different. Did you see that just in the last couple of days? I've seen that in different discussion groups online. The state of Texas, licensed clinical social work, Yes. Now have the option or the ability to deny service Mm -hmm. to different groups of people Mm -hmm. and the upset that has created. It is something that I think all those those are important beliefs to discuss before Mm -hmm. really getting involved in business with someone else. Yeah. It's important that you at least know that either they're flexible enough to accept what you could possibly bring to the table or you already think similarly. Those are a lot of important things to ask. I think the more time I spend thinking about how to start a private practice, the questions you need to ask, the steps you take, the more I realize it's really complicated. I feel like I got really lucky. When I started private practice, I met people through work that wanted to do it at the same time, generally speaking, that I wanted to do it and mm-hmm. we were able to do it and it worked out well mm-hmm. or has continued to work out well. But I can imagine it's not that easy for everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks today for listening to Supervision with a Vision. You've been listening to Supervision with a Vision. Head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Therapy Academy to join the conversation and get show notes. We'll be back next week with more Supervision with a Vision.